Hello, everyone. I'm Warren Smith in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Natasha Smith coming to you this week from Colorado Springs. We'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. Each week, Warren and I bring you news about Christian ministries, as well as the latest in charity and philanthropy, all designed to help us become better stewards of the resources God has entrusted to us. On today's program, the Supreme Court is handing down decisions on an almost daily basis. We look at a couple of those decisions that will have an impact on churches and Christian ministries. God TV gets booted off the air in Israel, and we'll explain why. And we continue our Generous Living series with a story of a young couple in New York City who's giving away 90% of what they earn and living on the remaining 10%. We begin today with the first of those Supreme Court decisions. The U.S. Supreme Court gave religious liberty advocates a victory on Tuesday. Yeah, the decision came in the case of Espinosa versus the Montana Department of Revenue. The Supreme Court ruled five to four that Montana's no-aid clause, which is also known as the Blaine Amendment, cannot exclude religious schools from programs that provide scholarships to students when they attend private schools. The ruling made it easier for families to obtain funding for religious schools. It upholds a Montana scholarship program that allows state tax credits for private schooling. Now, families who receive tuition assistance may use this assistance towards any private school, regardless of its religious affiliation. Warren, I can see how this would be a victory for religious liberty, but what do you think about Christian ministries receiving government funds? Well, it's a great question. In some ways, it's a separate question from the one we're talking about here, and uh, and I'm reluctant to give my personal opinion for that reason, but I will anyway. <laughs> I think the government, especially the federal government, should do only those things that are spelled out in the Constitution, and that would mean, in my view, getting the federal government out of the education business altogether. But the genie's already out of that bottle. Yeah, you're right. And even though I could imagine that at some future date, we might be able to put that genie back in the bottle, I think that the most we can hope for now is that Christian ministries are not punished merely for being Christian or being religious in any way. Um, That's a clear violation of the First Amendment to the Constitution, and the good news is that this week, at least, the Supreme Court agrees with that conclusion. So what are the practical effects of this ruling? Well, in this case, it means that the residents of Montana will be able to receive a tax credit for contributing to a scholarship fund. And the Montana legislature passed a law that made that possible in 2015, but that's when all of these legal challenges began. Soon after, the Montana Department of Revenue, which is, of course, the taxing authority, struck down the tax credit program for all private schools, religious and non-religious alike. But it quickly became obvious that this was a response to pressure that they were getting from atheist groups and other groups that didn't want that money going to religious schools. Yeah, because religious schools actually make up 70% of all private schools in Montana. Yeah, they do. So this ban really was targeted towards religious schools and Christian schools in particular. And now that the ban is struck down, the scholarship plan, including the tax credit, can go back to operating the way that the Montana legislature originally planned for it to. Well, that's really good for Montana, but what about the rest of the country? 
Yeah, and that's why this case is so important. The Blaine Amendment, which I mentioned earlier, was originally an amendment proposed to the U.S. Constitution way back during the tenure of President Ulysses S. Grant. It was named after Congressman James Blaine, who was running for president against Grant in 1884. Now, it never became federal law, but in the nearly century and a half since then, 40 states have passed laws that we now generically call Blaine Amendments. So this Supreme Court ruling overturns all of those laws? Well, precisely so. And that's why this is so significant, not just for the people of Montana, but for all the rest of us as well, or at least most of the rest of us, those of us who live in those other 40 states. And that's also, by the way, Natasha, we should always remember that there is no such thing in politics as a settled question. We've been arguing about this issue for more than a century, and it has been supposedly settled several times. So religious conservatives and religious liberty advocates are really happy about that ruling. However, another ruling that came down this week didn't make them so happy. Yeah, to say the least, the Supreme Court um, earlier uh, this week struck down a Louisiana law regulating abortion clinics, uh, reasserting a commitment to abortion rights uh, over the fierce opposition of some of the dissenting conservative justice. Now, this is the first big abortion case that we've seen go all the way to the Supreme Court in the Trump era. Uh, Chief Justice John Roberts joined with his four more liberal colleagues in ruling that the law requiring doctors who perform abortions to have admitting privileges at nearby hospitals violates the abortion right that the Constitution, of course, first announced in 1973 in the uh, landmark Roe v. Wade decision. Well, and this seems kind of strange to me because in two previous abortion cases, Roberts had favored restrictions. Yeah, that's right. And Roberts does, or at least up until now, has generally voted with the conservative uh, block. But uh, you're right. There have been two cases recently uh, where questions about abortion restrictions have come up. Uh, the most relevant case was a 2016 Texas law. Uh, the Louisiana law that they ruled on this week, in fact, is virtually identical to the one in Texas that the court struck down in 2016. But in that earlier case, as you said, Roberts voted with the conservative minority. So why did he flip-flop? Well, Roberts said that he didn't have a choice. He said that even though he voted against the 2016 opinion, he lost. And that opinion became a binding precedent in this case. Roberts, in fact, wrote his own concurring opinion for the case this week. In other words, he didn't side with the liberal majority, even though he voted with the liberal majority. And in his concurring opinion, he wrote this, the result in this case is controlled by our decision four years ago, invalidating a nearly identical Texas law. Now, the other conservative justices really let him have it. Yeah, they did. Clarence Thomas wrote this. Today, a majority of the court perpetuates its ill-founded abortion jurisprudence by enjoining a perfectly legitimate state law and doing so without jurisdiction. And so did a lot of pro-life ministries. 
Yeah, pro-life ministries were also really quick to express frustration with this decision. Uh, Marjorie Dannenfelser, who's the president of the Susan B. Anthony List, issued a lengthy statement. I'm only going to share just one sentence out of it, and that is this. Today's ruling is a bitter disappointment. Uh, The Family Research Council president, Tony Perkins, said that he was shocked and deeply disappointed by the decision. I should add that Tony Perkins used to be a member of the Louisiana legislature, and he authored the first version of the state law providing state oversight and regulation of abortion clinics. In fact, the Family Research Council had filed an amicus brief in this very case. Now, Warren, we have to take a break, but when we return, a new development in the ongoing saga of God TV, a network trying to broadcast in Israel. This week, their efforts saw a new setback. Yeah, I'm Warren Smith in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Natasha Smith in Colorado Springs. And we will be back after this short break. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Up next, Israeli regulators on Sunday announced they ordered a U.S.-based evangelical broadcaster taken off the air, saying that the channel hid its missionary agenda when it applied for a license. Uh, In the decision, Asher Bitten, the chairman of the Cable and Satellite Broadcasting Council in Israel, said that he had informed God TV on the previous Thursday that it had seven days to stop broadcasting. Uh, The channel appeals to Jews with Christian content, he wrote. What's wrong with that? Well, as we reported a couple of weeks ago, Natasha, proselytizing to anyone under the age of 18 in Israel is, in fact, illegal. And even evangelizing adults is considered offensive. That's why God TV had agreed not to target Jews, but to produce content for Christians living in Israel. How did regulators decide that wasn't what was going on? Well, for one thing, most Christians living in Israel speak Arabic, not Hebrew, and God TV was broadcasting in Hebrew. Secondly, the president of God TV uh, said they were targeting Jews in a fundraising campaign to his supporters here in the U.S. Oh, busted. (laughs) Yeah, exactly right. Uh, In fact, here's a quote from a video uh, that Ward Simpson, the president of God TV, said. He said, God has supernaturally opened the door for us to take the gospel of Jesus into the homes and lives and hearts of his Jewish 
people. That's pretty definitive there. And in fairness, I should say that Simpson later apologized for the video and God TV took it down from its website, but the damage had already been done. The television network that is carrying God TV said that it didn't plan to appeal the Israeli regulator's decision. So it looks like God TV is or will be uh, very soon off the air in the Holy Land. Now, Warren, I'd like to pivot in our conversation and bring our listeners another update on a story that we reported on a few weeks ago, and that is the new developments at Cedarville University. Yeah, Cedarville University's Board of Trustees voted last Friday to reinstate Dr. Thomas White as president. The reinstatement follows a six-week investigation into whether White had covered up a professor's sexual misconduct and withheld information about that misconduct from the Cedarville board. So does it mean that he was completely innocent and didn't do anything wrong and deserves his old job back? Well, I wish it was that easy. In fact, the decision to reinstate White may be as controversial as the uh, decision to put him on leave in the first place. Two respected board members at Cedarville resigned over the decision. Pastor Mark Rogop, who is a well-known megachurch pastor and a longtime supporter of the college, as well as Danny Aiken, who is the president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary in North Carolina. They both resigned. Both said that they They were troubled by the board's decision and couldn't support it. So what's going to happen now? Well, presumably things will go back to normal at Cedarville, but the problem with that assessment is this. Uh, The new normal for all colleges will be very different from the old normal. Financially speaking, Cedarville is not in bad shape because of the COVID crisis. I mention that because a lot of colleges are, and we've already reported here, Natasha, about how several Christian colleges are already announcing that they're going out of business. They've done that just within the past few months. Cedarville's financial situation, while not dire, um, hasn't been improving over the last couple of years under Thomas White's leadership. Revenue has been fairly flat. Donation revenue has actually gone down. And now the COVID crisis has hit, which will almost certainly impact both student enrollment in the fall and potentially donor giving as well. So if this scandal impacts um, the credibility of the school, it could find itself in trouble pretty quickly. Noren, let's take a look at one more story before we head to break. And that's a story about how um, the COVID crisis has impacted a hollow tradition, which is Vacation Bible School. Yeah, a lot of churches and their curriculum providers, many of them are nonprofit ministries in and of themselves, have had to pivot quickly to provide an online version of Vacation Bible School. The good news is that for many thousands of kids and their parents, it seems to be working. Kids are logging on and joining in. And I understand that there are actually some positive effects from the virtual VBS. Yeah, there are. For one thing, families can choose when and where they want to do VBS. Uh, One family we profiled in the story that we posted on our website this week lives in Wisconsin, but they chose to participate in a vacation Bible school at a church in Indiana many hours away because they had family members in the Indiana church. It was a way for the spread out family members to get together online for a good cause. 
And that wouldn't have been possible if the church had not been forced to migrate online. Yeah, that's exactly right. Are there any other benefits to being online? Well, yeah, some churches are taking advantage of the fact that libraries and museums and other kid-friendly venues are just shut down uh, during uh, the COVID crisis, and they're marketing VBS to their unchurched neighbors as an alternative activity for those kids, and that seems to be working too. And that's a really encouraging story. Now, Warren, we have to take another break, but when we return, another encouraging story, the next installment of the Generous Living series that we began last week. Today, we hear of a young couple who aspires to give away 90% of their income and live on the other 10%, and they're going to extraordinary means to do so. I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host, Warren Smith. More in a moment. Hello everyone, I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host, Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Up next, the American Bible Society, one of the nation's oldest nonprofit organizations, announced last week that Robert Briggs has been appointed as president and CEO of this 204-year-old Bible ministry. Briggs, who served most recently as interim president and CEO following the retirement of Roy Peterson, has served at and led the American Bible Society through various leadership roles for nearly 20 years. Now, Warren, we don't usually announce any personnel moves at Christian Ministries on this program or at Ministry Watch site. So why this one? Well, because in some ways, the American Bible Society is the great-great-grandfather for all Christian ministries in this country. It was founded, as I said, 204 years ago by some of the same leaders who founded the United States of America itself, including Elias Boudinot, who is was the president of the Continental Congress. And John Jay, John Jay, many of our listeners may know, was the first chief justice of the United States. It's also one of the largest ministries in the country. It has assets that total more than half a billion dollars. That's more than $500 million. In 2019, revenue topped $65 million. That is big money. And speaking of big money, I'd like to close today with the latest in the Generous Living series. And it's the story of Graham and April Smith. Warren, what's so special about them? Well, while most people work to make money, I know that's certainly my situation, um, Graham and April Smith work in order to give it away. Uh, As Wall Street professionals, their incomes largely go to funding charities and causes that they're passionate about, rather than fueling what you might think of as that typical extravagant Wall Street lifestyle. 
And I understand that they aspire to something that they call reverse tithe. What does that mean? Well, the biblical tithe, as I'm sure most of our listeners know, is to give away, give to the church 10% of one's income. But Graham and April say that they try to live off of 10% and give away the other 90%. That's what they call a reverse tithe. And that sounds really good, but there has to be some more to that story. Are they trust fund babies or maybe have a big inheritance they can live off of without making that much of an income? Well, those are good guesses, but in this case, no, that's really not their situation at all. Now, I should say that both of them do have really good jobs working on Wall Street, but Graham said that when he got his job originally right out of Wheaton College, that he intentionally made a decision to get a small apartment with a bunch of roommates. In fact, he said he lived in a bunk bed with two other guys in the same room so that he could keep his rent down to about $600 a month, which is extraordinarily small by New York standards. And after he and April got married just a couple of years ago, they decided to rent a room in their apartment, the one that their newlywed apartment, the one that they shared together. They rented a room out of that apartment so that they could give away even more money. Also, they are radically committed to this idea of giving away money. Yeah, they are. And I should add that they don't yet have kids and all the expenses that go along with that. But still, they're a remarkable couple. And I found their story really inspiring, even if maybe I'm not quite as committed as they are to their uh, frugal lifestyle. Uh, That said, I've already shared the story with my family, and I can see how we might be making changes in the future, too, because of their example. And I understand that they're taking their lifestyle commitment to an even deeper level by starting a business that will become self-sustaining and help the poor at the same time. Yeah, they are. In 2017, they launched a not-for-profit vegan restaurant right in Times Square called P.S. Kitchen. Uh, They asked, what's the best way for us to sustainably give? Not just give a lot of money now, but keep that giving up over time. And uh, they answered that question in part by coming up with an impact investing restaurant. They said that they were going to hire marginalized New Yorkers, often homeless or near homeless, and they would use the profits to go to fund the things that they cared about. In fact, I should, one quick anecdote that I think sort of gives an example of um, what they're trying to do there. One of their dishwashers at the restaurant is a former heroin addict who had been in and out of jail most of his adult life. Finally, though, he got in a rehab program when he was in his early 50s, kind of stuck with that program and, you know, was now clean and sober and wanting to start a new life. But you can imagine how tough it would be for a man in his 50s, who had been in prison, who had been an addict, had no reliable work history to get a job. And the answer to that question, it's tough. In fact, he said he had interviewed four years without any success until he got a job at Graham and April's restaurant. He said that on the day he got the job, he broke down and cried. And Graham and April said that he's been a great team member for them ever since. Wow, that is a great story. Yeah, and there's a whole lot more to us like that in the story that we have on the Ministry Watch website. Christina Darnell is doing a great job with this series. And, and if I could just mention one more anecdote, you know, it's not just the money that April and Graham are giving away that are a part of the story. Uh, Graham works for Credit Suisse, which is a very large global uh, financial services firm. And he said that he was at a company 
party. And um, they started talking about, you know, what they're doing with some of their coworkers. And one of his coworkers was so inspired uh, just by listening to Graham and April's story that he made a commitment to give $50,000 to an orphanage in the Congo. So uh, their story is not just about what they're giving away, but the example that they're providing for others as well. Wow, what a wonderful inspiration. Now, if you'd like to read more about this or any of the stories that we discussed on today's program, just go to ministrywatch.com and you'll find them right on the front page. Now, with that, Warren, we need to bring our time together to a close. Do you have any housekeeping items before we go? Yeah, I did want to mention a couple of things. A, a new feature on the website um, that we just implemented literally this week. On the last day of each month, we're going to uh, publish, republish the top 10 stories for that month all in a list. Uh, we just started that feature because, of course, this is the beginning of July. Uh, so you can go to the website now and see the top 10 stories for the month of June. They include stories about Ravi Zacharias, the Southern Baptist Convention, Jerry Falwell Jr., and Liberty University and the death of George Floyd and what faith groups are doing to bring reconciliation and healing. It's a great way to reflect back on the stories that are likely to have a lasting impact. And that sounds like a great new feature. Yeah, and I'd like to remind everyone of two other features that we started this month as well. The first is Bobby Ross's Weekend Plug-In. It's on our website every Saturday. I've already mentioned that a couple of times to regular podcast listeners, so I won't spend much more time on that now except to say, go look at it. It's a really great feature. And, of course, the Generous Living feature that we just talked about. We now have four of those stories up on our website. And if you're new to Ministry Watch, I especially encourage you to check those stories out. They're expiring and challenging and may cause you to rethink your own way of giving and living. Our producers for today's program are Rich Rosal and Steve Gandy. We get database and other technical support from Kathy Goddard, Stephen Dubarry, and Casey Suddeth. Writers who contributed to today's program include Christina Darnell, Walker Smith, Emily McFarlane Miller, Julie Royce, and Warren Smith. And thanks to our friends at Religious News Service for contributing materials to this week's program. I'm Natasha Smith in Colorado Springs. And I'm Warren Smith in Charlotte, North Carolina. And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. May God bless you. Thank you.